everybody has wisdom and your boundary wisdom is inside of you. I don't know what the right boundary is for every person in every situation, but you do. And boundary work is a restoration of trust. And I'm not asking you to trust in the universe. I'm not asking you to have like airy fairy beliefs. I am asking you to trust that you have wisdom inside of you and that that guidance from inside of you that is screaming, this is a no for me, is correct. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. Or hey, maybe this is your first time listening in. And if so, you are in for a real treat. And I've got a question for you. This is the same question I'm asking myself. Ready? Where are you finding solace these days? And by solace, I mean a moment of respite, a sense of security or safety or a brief period of being able to collect your thoughts. What I'm hearing from a lot of the clients I coach with, and I can relate to it too, is that the intensity we have in our lives, it's like a flame on a gas stove. And lately, somebody's been turning up the dial on that a little bit, or maybe a lot in the past year and a half, as we all navigate the landscape of changes before us, both globally and personally, happening in in what feels like a really rapid pace. Well, today... I hope to offer you a professional balm, B-A-L-M, in the form of a visit with a psychotherapist, an all-around wonderful woman that focuses her work on guiding people in intense situations, from being overwhelmed and stressed out and the caretaker for everybody else, to trusting themselves and being more decisive. Now, when I say decisive, I'm so curious to hear from you. What kind of decision maker are you? Are you like me and maybe you prefer to have plenty of time to consider all the options, do all your research, maybe, I'll admit, make the occasional Excel spreadsheet in order to type out what I'm thinking before you decide? Or maybe you're a gut instinct kind of person and you get a really good sense of what feels right and you just roll with that. Or maybe you're the quick decision maker, the knee jerk person, and then later you think, oh my goodness, why did I just say yes to that? (laughs) Or why did I do that thing? Or maybe you feel the stall out, meaning sometimes you get stuck in that analysis paralysis place and the amount of tasks you need to sort out grows until it just feels insurmountable. So then, you know, we Netflix binge or we find other ways of checking out, but there's this sense of energy being expended on decisions we haven't made yet or something else. Tell me, I'd love to hear in a review on iTunes or on social media, what is your decision-making style? I ask because while I prefer on most days to make thoughtful, logical decisions, there have been times where I've broken my own mold and made illogical decisions that were some of the best choices I've made. Like, This podcast, actually. Did you know that Messy and Magnificent was an entirely illogical choice for me? The short version of that story is that I've wanted to start a podcast for a long time. I wanted a way of taking the work that I get to do with private one-on-one clients or when we do coaching for driven women in other large corporate settings, but it was never the right moment. I had other things I needed to tend to, but one day... I started to feel the strongest nudge inside my core, somewhere between my stomach and my heart, like right there in my solar plexus, this message that just said, podcast now, (laughs) now podcast. And I'm going about my day. I'm trying to get other things done for many days after this went on. And my brain kept kicking in immediately and saying, what? Are you kidding me? The last thing you have time for right now is a podcast. But that nudge wouldn't let me go. And I've had enough experience to know when the nudge sticks around, it's time to pay attention. 
So after a few times, I thought, okay, okay, what's the first step in seeing if this whole podcast thing is for me, right? What's the first most simple step just to explore this idea? And then I can make my educated, highly researched decision. And I thought, okay, I got to talk to somebody who knows about podcasts. And I mentioned this to my sister, Kelsey, and she referred me to Ginny Saraswati, who's the founder of Ginny Media and the producer of our show for nearly two years now. And it all took form from there. And if you're curious about how podcasting works, let me know, you know, how we went from idea to execution on this. I'd be happy to share the full details on it in a show. In fact, we went from just this hunch in my chest to full-fledged, messy and magnificent show airing in less than two months, which is not always the norm for me. I want to point that out, <laughs> that things do not always happen that quickly for me. I am so thankful for this nudge and for having enough experience to pay attention to it. In fact, this is our 99th episode. So tune in next week. Super cool, special 100th episode is coming out. But you know what's helped me develop that ability to make good decisions? It's boundaries. And today we've got a boundary pro with us, Sari Gilman, who can shed some light on the doable steps women use to upgrade from second guessing or just ruminating over and over and over or being stuck in a cycle of self-doubt to being able to make clear choices that serve our career, our health, and our relationships beautifully. Now, Sarah Gilman is fondly called the Boundary Queen, and she has earned that title. In her work with people as a psychotherapist, she's learned that boundaries are the source of all conflict and also the foundation of all well-being. And if you ever wonder how you're supposed to have boundaries with your family members, Sari excels in this area. I can't wait for you to hear her thoughts on setting boundaries with loved ones and other people that we live or work closely with. She has spent a long time working with boundary concepts and figuring out the best way to teach people how to become their own boundary experts. And what's unique about her work is that having lived and worked in a very small community on the Wind Bay Island, she's had the benefit of hearing feedback about what's helped people the most over the last three decades. So this is 30 years of research and real proven case studies in the field of boundaries. In fact, you're going to hear her share on this episode exactly how long it takes on average for folks to make having sturdy boundaries their new normal. So in addition to being the boundary queen, part of what's given her that expertise is having founded two nonprofits. One of them is Cocoon House, and she also ran Leadership Snohomish County for seven years, living her life with the entrepreneurial spirit and as a writer, and as a well-rounded humanitarian. So you're going to hear from her experience some very candid conversation about how Sari knows when it's time to walk away from work that she might love, but that's draining her, and precisely how she has built in moments of solace in order to sustain what she cares about in the world. Sari is also the author of three books, Transform Your Boundaries, Naming and Taming Overwhelm, and a guided journal for boundaries and self-care. I'm going to put links to all three of those right here in the show notes. Or you can hop on over to her website, which is Sari Gilman, S-A-R-R-I-G-I-L-M-A-N, and check out her Transform Your Boundaries course. In fact, at the end of the show, she even gives you a code to get special access to that. All of that is right here in the show notes too, so you don't have to even look it up. Speaking of pauses, this is the part of show where I get to pause and do perhaps my favorite thing, which is to give a shout out. And today, I want to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. So I really do encourage you to hop on over to iTunes and leave a review, or you can send a brief voice memo of your thoughts to Anitza, that's A-N-I-T-Z-A, at everybodythrive.com, link to that in the show notes too, and we'll give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. You're going to hear Sari validate the deep value of doing this work with boundaries together, how when we collaborate, we become more decisive and community really does it go a long way. And I am so thankful that you are in this community with me. All right. Little hint. Sari is going to explain how restoring your trust in yourself is key 
to restoring good decision making and specifically how to do just that right now. I don't think I really knew what to expect coming into this. And I think I've just been kind of surprised by everything (laughs) and just how welcoming and supportive and accepting everyone is and just how inspired I feel every time I come on these calls and when I leave for like hours, I'm just like smiling. I go back to work and I'm like, this was amazing. (laughs) It's so good. But I I think too, just, just really having the space to be vulnerable in this way is different from anything else I have in my life. And I have a huge support network of people, but nothing quite like this. I wasn't able to actually set the boundaries or work on setting them or make the changes in my life until I was able to be vulnerable to use my voice to set them because I was no longer worried about what that person was going to think of me by setting it. These are the voices of women who have attended the Boundary Academy. This is a group coaching program and ongoing community that I run with 14 women from the Council of Boundary Makers. And together, we welcome women who used to be like me, people-pleasing overachievers who secretly feel behind because you know you're capable of more, but you just don't have time to get to it with everything on your plate into the arms of sisterhood to make sure that you finally have both the time and energy to get to what you care about without being pulled in 10 directions or feeling guilty anymore. Because here's the thing, a life without boundaries is not your own life. But having boundaries is definitely not about armoring up or having to be fierce or have big hard walls between you and everybody else. I think the thing I continued to take away was this perspective that boundaries are not walls. That can be intimidating to say, oh, I'm going to sign up for Boundary Academy, but I don't know if I'm ready to put up those walls yet. And that's not what it's about. Boundaries actually are between you and you. It's looking at where do you need to create a boundary for yourself? And because of that, that it's softer. It's not trying to hide you behind a wall, but instead help you bridge across a situation. You see, all my years of research and coaching women in the territory of boundaries has taught me that it's not that setting boundaries is hard. It's trying to set them alone that makes them so tricky. So instead, we use proven methods and good old sisterhood that gives you both the resources, the clarity, and the confidence to have the best career, relationships, and health of your life without it having to feel like as much work as it is right now. That's what people need to know is like when they feel like they can't rise up, we're here to lift them. The doors to enroll in the new class open on September 20th, 2021 and promptly close on October 1st. So this is your window. Head on over to carlyfane.com to get the full scoop and free instant access to one of the classes with me where you can learn practically how women stop snapping at other people, being secretly behind, always feeling guilty about something, or getting headaches and other perplexing health symptoms simply by upgrading a few key boundaries. This is the last time we're opening the doors this year, so I hope to see you in the Academy. Give yourself the respect of checking it out because boundaries aren't something nice we practice later when we have more time. They are something essential that we practice gently now so that you have the time and space in your days for the career or health or relationships that give you the joy and energy you really want. We're all coming together for like the same purpose and the same cause and we're all just here to support each other and lift each other up we're all in it together and i think that shows once we start talking to each other it's like having multiple best friends in your back pocket what in your head or your heart really wants to be heard today i think that i want people to feel encouraged Mm -hmm. i really hope that anybody listening listening in on this really feels possibility and hope and encouraged. Mm. Why do you think encouragement 
goes hand in hand with boundaries. What's the connection there? There's this place in boundary work that's always really challenging. It's super difficult when you really face the hard parts. I like people to start with more of the basics first before they tackle the deeper issues in their life where they have to really set boundaries. And when you do this work for a while, you get to a place where you're going to face some really hard things. And that's where we need courage and we need encouragement that it's not easy to do this kind of work in your life. And I know that. And so I'm just hoping people feel encouraged because there's also unbelievable payoff from doing it. (laughs) It's like, you know, your life changes. And I never set out to like change people's lives in this, even though I am a therapist. So you would think, well, yeah, you've got to be all about change. But what has stunned me over the years of doing this with people is that people come back after they've really worked with boundaries deeply in their lives and have said, my whole life is different. My whole life changed. It was like, well, I didn't set out to change your whole life. We were just doing a three-hour <laughs> workshop. But I always hope that I leave people with enough tools where they can really go and work on their lives But I've heard it consistently enough now over the years. And I know that when we stay with boundaries as an awareness in our lives, as an awareness practice, our whole lives do change and they change for the better. But it's hard work. How do you define the word boundary? When we say boundary, how would you describe that to the listeners? Because I think about I've been taking that word for granted. You know, I've been throwing around the word boundary and I've been thinking it would be really good, (laughs) you know, to begin to be more descriptive about what that means. And so when you say boundary. It is your collection of your yeses and your noes. That's the whole thing. Collection of your yeses and your noes. Okay. So this reminds me of your beautiful TEDx talk, which we'll put a link to right here in the show notes for those listening. But, you know, in there you describe that the focus of your work is around what you just said here, supporting people's journey from overwhelm or feeling stressed out to the max to trusting themselves. And what caught my ear was when you said being more decisive. And my whole being tuned up to, ooh, being more decisive, because I can't tell you how often I hear women in my practice mention being exhausted or trapped in that cycle of self-doubt wrestling with ideas, being exhausted by the wrestle, but not feeling like they can quite, you know, pull the trigger or, or make the decisions. And I'd be so curious, you know, you mentioned your compass as a tool. Yes, because the beautiful thing is, is that everybody has the answers inside of them. Everybody has wisdom and your boundary wisdom is inside of you. I don't know what the right boundary is for every person in every situation, but you do. Every person has that inside of them. And even if you feel like your yes and no, I like you to think of it as a compass, those yeses and nos. And, you know, honestly, I'm being asked yes and no questions where I have to be decisive all day long. And so are you. And so if you are being aware of this and really paying attention to this, you'll notice that you have an an opportunity to really listen to what is your truth from inside. And that truth is your wisdom. And very often we're arguing with our own wisdom. We don't want that to be the truth. We might be exhausted and overwhelmed, but we don't want to hear that that our wisdom is saying, hey, this is what needs to change. And we're like, oh, I can't. Oh, I won't. Oh my gosh, there's no way I would know how to do that. And so we back away. And what happens is we break trust with ourselves. And boundary work is a restoration of trust. And I'm not asking you to trust in the universe. I'm not asking you to have like airy-fairy beliefs. I am asking you to trust that you have wisdom inside of you and that that guidance from inside of you that is screaming, this is a no for me, is correct. And if we follow that wisdom and trust that, inside of you. Trust that voice. 
as you walk on a path in life, you will be facing kind of what your life is really meant to be and what it's about. And our path keeps changing in life and new things come up, but we always have that compass inside of us. We always have it and we just need to tune into it. But if you spend decades tuning away from it, ignoring it, avoiding it, saying, I have to, I must continue doing whatever it is everybody else expects of me. And what you're doing is you're really tuning into everybody else's compass, right? You're tuned into what everybody else wants from you. So you're tuning into their compass. All you need to do is tune into your own compass and trust that. And that trust may have been broken over time because the more we ignore that part of ourselves, the more disconnected we get. And then we don't know how to trust that compass. And our compass knows that we're not listening to it. And it may even go quiet on us. Right. You know, it may be really hard to tune in and hear it. I, I sometimes hear from people like, I can't hear anything when I'm tuning in. It's like about my yes or my no. I keep hearing, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And that is usually like cloud coverage over your compass, right? That's usually from a pattern of not listening. That tells me that um, your compass has been talking to you, but it has seen you ignore, ignore, ignore for so long, it has just clouded over. And now you kind of can't get to the clarity. So that means kind of reestablishing trust inside with yourself and agreeing that you're going to trust what this voice is saying and you're going to take make some moves in your life knowing that you're listening to your truth. You're not telling your truth what it needs to be. You're listening to it, right? You're not saying, oh, this is unacceptable. I can't, this cannot be the answer. I'm not doing this. It can't be telling me that I need to change careers. It can't be telling me that I need to leave this relationship. You know, these are very big, dramatic ones. But even on the very small level, we get into a habit of not listening. And so restoring that trust with yourself is key. You gave a really powerful example of this when you shared a story about a big boundary decision you made with the shelter that you founded for teenagers. And you made the decision to step away from that work, which is so incredibly meaningful to you. And you clearly so loved and loved the people there. And would you be willing to share a little bit about that story? Because the way way it started was, you know, you're in a dark movie theater bursting into tears. And I think that to me sounds like you know, the compass being strong enough to come through, you know, in a messy way, in an unexpected moment. But there it was. And, and I, would you be willing to share a little bit of that story and that process? Because I think while it's uniquely yours, there's something incredibly relatable about all the ways we try to circumvent our knowing until it's strong enough that we suddenly can't ignore it anymore, right? Yes. One of those big experiences for me, and sometimes it can feel like a rebellion. And at the moment, it felt like my compass was like having a rebellion. I was sitting in a movie theater. It was the middle of the afternoon. I was watching a movie. I was alone in the theater. And I was crying all the way through this movie. It wasn't a particularly sad movie. I realized it was the only safe place I had to cry. And it was dark and I was by myself and that was where I went. And I realized that what I was crying about was that I really knew that my compass was saying to me, it was time for me to step away from an agency that I had founded, an agency that I loved, an agency that I worked for for 10 years and doing meaningful work, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, the work doesn't matter the work really mattered to me. I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. And yet my compass was saying, we're done. And why I was done was that I had experienced a lot of trauma at this job, witnessing a lot of child abuse. And it was time for me to step away and heal from my own trauma of witnessing, my own secondary trauma. And 
saying that out loud was like, I'm crying in a movie theater, partially because I know I need to leave, but partially because I'm traumatized and partially because I need to take care of myself emotionally. I can't keep taking care of this giant thing that I created. And I think that happens a lot to us women, you know, particularly women, is that we create things that take care of a lot of other people. In any kind of job that you do, I'm sure in your business too, Carly, I mean, here you are, you're creating the Boundary Academy, right? It's going to take care of a lot of people, right? Right, Right. absolutely. We create things that do good work and are meaningful and they take care of other people. And what I had to do was take care of myself at that moment because there wasn't a way for me to stay in that work continue to expose myself to continuous child abuse and heal my own inner heart, my own inner child. You know, you can't keep exposing yourself to something that's also harming you. Yes. So as much as I love the work, there was a part of me, you know, it started out as a small part of me and over 10 years, it became a large part of me that was actually being hurt by the work. I think that's kind of a dirty little secret in human services and nonprofit work is that we are often taking care of pain. And in doing so, we're getting burned on the tips first and then deeper and deeper in. So at that time, it felt very brave and very broken to say, I can't keep doing this. I am hurting inside and I need to step away. And I need to trust that this agency will keep doing what it needs to do in the world. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be run by me. There's other people that can do this and that's okay. I don't have to be the only one. I'm not the only person that ever started a nonprofit. I'm not the only person that ever worked with teens that were homeless. So I understood that it didn't have to be me. Somebody else could do this and I could go on and heal. That has been a very big teacher in my life. If boundaries have been a big part of a deep knowing awareness that I stay in touch with all the time, I also know trauma is one of my teachers. And so I, you know, I also walk very closely with listening to Where do I need to be in relationship to the rest, the recovery that I need for any work that I do now? Because now I continue to work with people and I continue to work with people that are hurting. And through the pandemic, I worked with hundreds and hundreds of healthcare workers who were struggling. And I was exposed to hearing a lot of traumatic stories. And I'm spending this year recovering from the trauma of what we've been going through in the pandemic, but particularly what people in the field of healthcare and human services have been going through. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, we're still in it. It's not when I say I'm recovering, it doesn't mean that I'm not working. I'm still working, but I, I am hearing myself even right now saying, look, that was a lot of trauma exposure. Now it's time to dial it back a little contain how much exposure I do over the next year. So what I decided to do was just do less workshops for one year and just do one a month as opposed to maybe three or four a month and really spend more time just in my own recovery time. Cause now I understand I don't have to get to the point of crying in the movie theater. Right. <laughs> right. I don't have to go that far in, yeah. but there is this dance in my life where I work with trauma and where I understand boundaries. And I have to keep those together. You said a phrase that really resonated with me when you said broken and brave. I just, I so appreciate the, the bothness of that phrase, right? And because you, you remind me of the courage it takes and the culture that expects us to muscle up and dig in and roll up our sleeves and hold the line and force through consistently that it really does take courage to go, okay, hold on here, right? For a second. And the level of intentionality you're bringing to your work in terms of, okay, I, I think I've reached my, my max on the amount of trauma I can witness, you know, at this scale. So practically, what's the appropriate amount? And what I'm appreciating in your approach here, Sari, is that you, 
you're not being an extremist in your approach. And that there's this ability for you to recognize with practice with boundaries, okay, when something's bubbling up and needs to be heard, and then to your point, you're not going to necessarily take the entire next year off, but you're going to be thoughtful about the type of work that you do. And that to me just feels far more realistic for a lot of people listening who might not be in a position to go, well, this job is hard, so I'm washing my hands of it and I'm walking away when maybe they need to support a family or they have other responsibilities and there's this sense of all in, all out in and of itself can be exhausting. And there are moments where we do have to make a hard boundary and and something needs to come to an abrupt end. But I appreciate your, when possible, you know, you're you're looking at, okay, what's reasonable here? Right. What can I ask of myself that won't be harmful to myself? And when can I look at myself and say, that was a lot? Oh. The pandemic was a lot. It is a lot. All of us yeah. have been through so much in this. Like there's a part where I teach about extreme boundary challenges. Now, those are kind of the most difficult of all boundary issues that we face. And when we're in extreme challenges, it's very hard for any of us, no matter how good we are at boundaries, it's very hard for us to establish boundaries when we're in an extreme challenge. I've taught about several of the challenges, but during the, and and any one of them, any single one of them is enough to be in an extreme boundary challenge. But during the pandemic, we had six out of seven at once. So we were actually experiencing all the extreme challenges at the same time for a very long sustained period, still going on. And the impact of that on our boundaries is that we may feel a little weaker right now. It may be harder to establish boundaries, even if you've been very good at them in your life. And so this is what I consider a boundary recovery period. We've all in this last uh, year and a half of the pandemic been in what I consider a complete boundary collapse, where everything around us sort of came apart, right? Mm -hmm. You can't even get your mail on time. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, right. uh, nothing's working. You go to restaurants and they're closed because they didn't get enough help in or the food delivery didn't come or you go to your supermarket and now there's less chicken and they're right. Everything is just sort of boundary collapse. Things are not working the way they were. And we are not going back to how things used to be. Right. We're going right. forward and we're facing a lot with you know, we're kind of standing on the edge of a place in time going forward where many of the issues that we're facing aren't going to be solved for generations, mm -hmm. but we're all working on them, right? right. Climate right. change, racial justice issues, the fallout of the pandemic, political divisiveness. We have some very very big things, the environment. We have very big things in front of us and they're going to be with us for a long time. It's amazing to me that you're bringing this thread of conversation forward because I, I had the opportunity to have a Zoom lunch with one of my, my dear friends and somebody who's, you know, 10 steps ahead of me in, in the field of positive psychology and, and well-being and, and I really admire. And we spent the entire 30 minutes talking about the loneliness we're feeling and the fatigue and the drain and the sense of longing and ache. And we have all the tools in the world in our back pocket. And yet I was describing it as being hangry, like I might be with food, but for something I can't put a finger on, you know? And, and so this morning, you know, my journal is generally the place where I process things. There's a lot of gratitude there. There's a lot of documentation of joy. But this morning it was like, no, 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 no. I'm having a no unicorns moment here. Like I need to list some of the reasons that maybe I'm feeling this way. And it was everything you just said. And then, you know, what goes on in each of our personal lives. So there are these big community and global issues that we're all exposed to at different levels. And yet it's impacting all of us. And then, of course, we're still navigating our day to day of being humans and um, and there are relationships and everything else going on. And, you know, as you described taking a year 
to recalibrate and to reframe. And, and we as a company are, are taking the month of August to recalibrate and, and reframe. I think there's something really powerful about being the type of leader who honors that and who sees the rest as a strength and as a form of sustainability. I think a lot about, we had um, Dr. Tom Stedding on the show a while ago, and he was talking about the idea of the, the, the solo hero you know, in the corporate world, he works with startups. And it's this idea that the person at the top has to have all the answers. And it's incredibly depleting and unsustainable. And then everybody else atrophies too, because they're not sharing the workload. And, and when you discuss this, it's like, I see the breakdown of the myth of the solo hero, <laughs> like that we don't have to have it all together at every moment in order to still be contributing, in order to still be doing things that matter in the world. Taking this year and calling it my recovery year after last year feels like, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, that's amazing. It's like, look at what we've all just been through. Um, you know, are you kidding me? Like, sometimes we get ideas from each other that inspire us. I have always taken August as a month to stop doing everything. I stopped seeing clients. I don't use it for business planning. I just stop doing everything every August. And I really take a full on break. And this year to say, why just August? Like I'm going to keep working. I'll return to work, but I'm going to work differently for a year and not push on myself hard because this is my recovery year. And so it doesn't mean that I don't work. It means I work differently. It means I don't demand so much of myself. You know that when you're a kid and you're on a merry-go-round and they had those gold little brass rings and you're always going in a circle <laughs> on those horses trying to grab yeah. that ring? Yeah. This is the year of not reaching for the ring. I'm not trying to do anything bigger or push. I'm just going to be very respectful of take time and recovery time. And I'll know, I'll know when my body is like, okay, here's where we are now. Cause like I said, we're moving through an ongoing pandemic. We're moving through ongoing historical trauma in this country mm -hmm. and in many other countries. We're moving through a lot of racial injustice issues that have a very long history to them and some very big awakenings in front of us all. And we're moving through a lot of political drama. So there's just so much. And then the climate change issues. I mean, they're coming all over the place. So right, right. we're just facing a lot at any time. And somehow the word I can't stand, can I just share this with your listeners? A word I can't stand. I can't really stand the word resilient. I feel like it's a word about shaming. I feel like it has a lot of shame to it. Like if you're not feeling resilient, then somehow you're failing. Oh. If in the face of challenge, you don't feel particularly resilient or strong, then you're not resilient. And I just can't stand how that word is used because I feel like it's being used and abused. There's a woman, Catherine Painter Brick, who is a medical anthropologist, and don't ask me what that is because I really <laughs> don't know what that is, but that's what she is, and she's at Yale. And she has a definition of resiliency that is the only definition that I love, and it is how we use resources, mm. social resources, biological resources, how we keep cultivating, resourcing ourselves or resourcing. And I love that definition. Because now we've moved from resiliency is not inside of you. It is not in you. Resiliency is how we paddle in the stream. It is how we use the paddle. It's how we get in our canoe. It's how we, how we harness resources and we resource ourselves. And I love that. I love that so much. And now I've got to tell you a very frank thought. When I was watching your, your TEDx, you talked about three things we could do to support our compass, right? And the first one you said was self-care. And I cringed. I wanted to hide under the table because for the same, I think, feel that you have around resiliency, it was, you know, telling people that have been through trauma 
or who live in a culture where they're expected to be selfless and give everything away all day, that they need to do more self-care to me can feel like victim shaming, right? And yet I know we're responsible for our own self-care, right? We do need to make the decisions we can where we are. But in that talk, you immediately came out with your second point, which was the resources, right? Reaching out and building your web. And, and in that moment, I said, oh, okay, here's a woman that gets it, right? Like it's that self-care piece is so important and, and the ability to reach out for support or to be part of a community, you know, and, and even if that community looks like your favorite poet or your favorite movie on a day when you, if you don't have a person right yet, but just to go to those places. And that's been my only respite. It hasn't been my full on solution yet. Sari, if I'm honest, in terms of addressing this hanger that I'm feeling, I think this is going to take a while. This is something rising in me. That's important. It's going to take time. But the tool I've had so far is go where there's love. Like, where is their love? Like, where is their love? And sometimes love is in the arms of my three-year-old nephew. And sometimes love is, I've been watching on YouTube, like when they hit the golden buzzer on America's Got Talent, you know, and there's just this always emotion in the room. And I'll watch those YouTube videos and the people that I talked to. I mean, this is why I had lunch with a dear friend on a Thursday. It's like, where is their, because that's, I'm at a place where it needs to be that simple. It needs to be that easy. Like the master plan is still evolving, but it's the, okay, where is there 3% more love? Let me go there for five minutes. Like, how does that, how does that begin? And so to hear you describe resiliency as tapping into the resources available to us or seeking out those resources, that resonates and that we don't always expect ourselves to carry every answer or every solution or every bit of gumption or gusto, that that's unrealistic in every moment. Yes. And, you know, I think of self-care as there's sort of surface level self-care and then there's very deep self-care. And the kind of self-care practice that I'm engaged in is a very deep way of living day by day. And it takes a very long time to really tap into the wisdom of that. But it, but once you get there, it's sort of like self-care and self-compassion are foundational to boundaries. Yeah. You know, because often in order to have any time for your own self-care, you have to establish a boundary around you to protect you, to take time away from your phone, to stop answering email, and to drop into that book that you're reading. But what I found is that there are these like seven patterns and I write about them in my book, Transform Your Boundaries, and that these patterns like caretaking, workaholism, isolating, that these, we can get stuck in these, in these patterns. And what we need to do is tie our self-care to our pattern. So for example, I've been like a really big workaholic most of my life. And part of boundary recovery for me is about understanding how to do self-care around workaholism. Mm. And for me, I realized that little workaholic in me, she never says ever, not once in decades, she's never said, you've done enough for today. (laughs) Good job. I think you should take a break. I think our inner workaholics are friends. I think they know each other, Sarah. <laughs> I think you're done. My Once I caught on and I realized, oh my God, this is an endless loop. This workaholic never says, good job, you're done. So what I introduced is this concept. And for me, it's a self-care concept. It's called That's Enough. My workaholic doesn't know what that is. But my boundary part does know what that is. My boundary part knows that's enough. And so I allow my boundaries to speak to my workaholic. And that is self-care. I allow my boundaries to have that conversation and say, what's enough? Before I get started on a project, before I make an agreement, before I commit to something, I always ask, what will be enough? Oh, I love that. My workaholic decided, oh my God, it'll never be good enough. (laughs) Right? 
Your workaholic knows mine, right? I, mean, I, do. I think they enough. go back. They're like best buds because they that sounds very Can't similar. You wake the up workaholic. in the middle of the night and do it just a little better? Didn't you have just one more idea? Yeah, or just skip can't... that yoga or skip your lunch. You know, this one time is what mine says. Get, get up, up earlier. earlier. You can do it at like right. 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, right? And yeah. you can do it on the weekends too. What I love about this is so great is that there's – there's the acknowledgement that the workaholic may never fully go away, like, and that it's there, right? Oh, no, it's no, their no. These voice and its opinion. Don't go away. These yeah. are hardwired. They're cultural. They come yeah. from some pretty deep places, right? So I'm not expecting that that recovery means that your pattern goes away. You might be a caretaker, a really great lifelong caretaker of others. Right. No, this doesn't go away. But you have to have a boundary conversation with that part. And I found that once people can do that, that to me is self-care. And once you can do that, that's where life change. Okay. You, you just tapped onto something really important that I was hoping we would get to talk about today because we get so many questions in the Boundary Academy about boundaries with family members, right? Like how do I set boundaries with my family members? And you mentioned, you know, the cultural component of this as well. And that, and that's a big thing that's been coming up with us a lot. We had one woman and she said, look, in my Hispanic family, the expectation is you listen to your elders and you do what they say, regardless of what that means for you. And we have one woman in, in, the, thing Philippines. in the Native American culture, same thing in the Jewish culture. Yeah. Oh that's... yeah. In the Jewish culture. And in the, in the, a woman from the Philippines was saying something similar and that you're expected to host your elders when they show up. And so when her family members stop by unannounced, even though she works from home, so she's at work, the expectation is she'll stop what she's doing and cook a meal. And so I'm so curious for you in all your work, you know, doing family therapy and working in those dynamics, what have you learned about the beginning steps for setting boundaries with family members? What, what mindset or insight have you picked up there? Well, I think the first part is to think about we're not going to set boundaries with our family. We're going to set boundaries with ourselves. Okay. So you're not doing this to anyone. You're doing this for you. And what you're doing is you're bringing some clarity and you have to first own and understand that it is our cultures don't necessarily think that you having boundaries is good for you. Okay. So your culture isn't going to endorse this. So a lot of times we have to kind of rebel a little bit from our culture and think about what's healthy for us and then establish clarity with people around us. So it's sort of a clarity agreement saying, you know what? I am available for you to drop by. I love when you drop by. But dropping by needs to be on a Saturday or right. on a Sunday when I'm home and I'm available. And I'd hate to miss out on that. <laughs> but right. when you drop by during the week, I'm not going to be able to cook. I'm actually not going to have more than 10 minutes. And that's going to be very sad for me because I will have wished I had more with you. But if you come on a day when I can have more with you, that would be wonderful. Now, that may spin somebody's head around. That's going to be different for them. But I would never right. call it setting boundaries with your family because, oh, my God, that's not going to go over well. <laughs> Save you the time. Don't even use the word. Talk about bringing clarity to the release. You're just bringing a little clarity. Bringing clarity. And you also mentioned, you know, I've heard you talk about, you know, the key to placing boundaries where you need them is tolerating stormy emotions boundaries with family members are where a lot of the emotions like it's that's like oh, a typhoon yeah. right of, down of emotions you. right and so I really appreciate you know just this acknowledgement a it means that you did it well oh if look at that reframe if they freak out you probably said the thing you really you, wanted to say heard you. good <laughs> job because a lot of the problem with clarifying your boundaries is that most of the time you haven't actually clarified them. So nobody has heard you. But if you get a reaction like that, the first thing I want you to say to yourself is well done. You got, you got it across. <laughs> what a beautiful reframe of that of, Oh my gosh, they heard me. I said the thing. I consider it my applause meter. When somebody is yelling at me about my boundaries, it's like, I'm applauding to myself in that moment. Cause I'm like, you did it girl. 
Um, you let know. They heard you. They understand there's a boundary there. And now, sure, people are going to be upset. People are going to be emotional. They may be rageful. They may be threatening. I take zero responsibility for that. Mm. How you feel is internal to you. I'm not making you feel something. I wish I had that power. Please. Right. Somebody fed me with the power of making others feel something. I don't have that power. I will take responsibility to be kind, to be gentle with people, and to clarify something in our relationship in a kind way. And I will be respectful. Now, if you are going to rage at me, I understand you're disappointed. I understand that you're not going to get what you want and that you'll have to get it from someone else. I get that. And that's very upsetting. Okay. I also allow you to take care of yourself emotionally. Well, isn't that just it? Because I often think about the disservice we do to others when we inadvertently, when we jump in and try to cheer them up or over explain about our boundary or backtrack on the boundary we just articulated. And then I think there's some underground messaging that we're giving other people that they're not fully empowered adults and that they need us to save them from their own emotion. And that to me, while done unintentionally, is a really destructive thing to do to another person, to attempt to fix their emotional state. And who's taking care of your emotional state? Exactly. I mean, when it comes down to it, is somebody out there taking care of all your emotional state? And I'm a therapist, so I'm saying this as a psychotherapist. It's not my job to do that. It is my job to allow you to take care of your feelings. I can be a witness. I can hear that something's hard and awful and has pissed you off and made you angry or that you're disappointed and frustrated with me. I get it but that's okay. Mm. I trust that you will get through it. And if you, you know, oftentimes people are afraid that if, you know, in the real extreme boundary challenge, that when they finally date what they need or take a stand to give themselves what they need, that other people will stop talking to them, that other people will, will leave the relationship entirely. And it takes some skill. To kind of navigate with, okay, if you're going to choose that, you know, I'm not trying to create that, but if you've chosen that, I will also respect that. Mm. It'd be a loss, but I will respect that. I think there's something really important about that too. Like when I think of if, if what it takes in order for me and this other person to be in relationship is for me to sacrifice something that is essential to me or important to me, then are we really in relationship with one another, right? Are, they, are we really actually connected to one another? You know, if I'm having to give up what it is that matters or feel encroached upon because I'm not articulating my boundaries, because I'm not living into my boundaries, then are we really truly in, in relationship together? That is beautiful, Carly. That is beautiful. And so there's something lost, right? There's something being lost. And I think that's where my, you know, for me, one of my boundary tells that I need a boundary if I didn't catch it earlier is resentment. I begin to resent another person or an activity I said yes to, even if I love the person, even if I love the activity. And my resentment is, ooh, that's my cue. Oh, I didn't set a boundary there. Hold on, you know. And so in those moments, it's a it's, I've already lost a little bit of myself. You know, I've lost my compass in that moment. And, and the alternative and the extreme scenario, you know, that our brain goes to is I might lose this person. But losing ourselves is an incredibly mm. painful thing, right? And uh, confusing and it takes a long time to recover from if we can at all. And so as you describe this, I think, somebody already is lost, you know, we've, we've mm. left ourselves, right? So like, that's so good. Yes. Oh. You left yourself. And in, in that part where you were describing what it means to be in a genuine relationship, like in a real loving, caring relationship, don't you want to support somebody else's boundaries? <laughs> don't you want to know what they are? When I'm in relationship with anybody, I want to know, like, what's a yes for you? What's a no for you? Where do we meet on this? How do we negotiate this? How do we navigate? How do I understand you? How do you understand me? Sometimes we compromise. 
Sometimes you may feel like you give up something. I may give up something and say I'm willing to because it's important to you. You may right. give up something because it's important to me. It's not about 100% all the time, like this is my boundaries, nobody crossed them. I mean, that's right. just sort of walling yourself off from others. There is this negotiation, but it's a negotiation with understanding of, I want, I want to support your boundaries. Yes. I don't want a relationship where everything is just my way. I want to understand you. I want you to understand me. And I want us to find something that works for us. You know, oh. we can do that. We can figure that out. What I love about that, and you're reminding me of is we had um, Nancy Levin came in to the Boundary Academy earlier this week, and she mentioned, you know, the difference in response we can get when somebody's reasonable or unreasonable. And as you describe that, I think, right, that is the way a reasonable person would respond or a person who really does care for our well-being or has the ability was like, OK, let's talk about this. Right. Or let me I might need to go. I might need some space to go think about this. But I heard you. Hope I'll get back to you. Right. The unreasonable re reaction, I think, is what we fear or we dread or concern comes up about. But just that reframe of, OK, this is this person is unreasonable. <laughs> like, and, and to your earlier point of it's not on me to make this person reasonable. Sometimes, you know, we're in families where there's like a lot of mental health issues and you may have some very unreasonable responses. I came from a family where there was a lot of mental health issues. And so it was kind of intergenerational. And these were the people that were surrounding me often. And there could be a lot of unreasonability in that. And coming to understand that, you know, I think that's why I became a therapist, so I could understand them. But then coming to understand that I can't make everybody have a reasonable response. When you have boundaries developing inside of you, you can also accept your own limitations. That's powerful to not need to be at all, to not need to have mastered it all or figured it all out. This willingness to be who we actually are in the moment. That to me hits a chord around, it just feels, that to me is the self-care you were talking about. It feels like compassion. It feels like a little bit of grace to self. Like, sure, I wish I'm the person who could listen to you yell at me, but I'm actually not the person who can listen to you yell at me. I just, I wish I had that kind of fortitude. Today, I don't. That's just or not where I'm at. And I love that. It's like, just, it's a little bit of acceptance. And you talked earlier, you said, you know, facing these challenging things when you were describing global, you know, these big things we're up against. And, and this to me feels similar in that we're facing things and we're, as in we're acknowledging things, we're looking at ourselves, we're acknowledging we're actually coming from, we're acknowledging the response other people are having. And I don't feel like we heal without acknowledgement, right? We don't heal without getting to sit with something or to see it or to unpack it. And so as you describe these forms of facing, like with our eyes open and to say, this is who I really am right now, right? Or, and, or to just witness, this is who this other person really is right now. And letting that be true and letting that be. Yes. Letting that be and saying, that be. okay, that's what that is. And I'm not, I, there's nothing I have to say or do to alter that. I can just yeah. accept that and say, that's just what is. Oh, Sari, thank you so much for being in this, in this conversation Oh, thank you for what you're doing with others and for making boundary work so supported and encouraging people and having deep conversations. I just love what you're doing. I'm so thankful that it's brought us together and that I've gotten to meet you and, and hopefully more of this, please. <laughs> yeah, I am offering something to your listeners. So I have... I recorded very complete boundaries course in understanding those seven patterns in you in how to develop your self-care and your listeners can have 20% off. They can download it anytime. It's on my website and I think you have the code. It's friends of Sari. I gave a discount code for your people. Oh. And if you want any of my books, my books always have a journaling piece to them because I, I don't think really it's about what I write. I think it's about what y'all write, <laughs> right? It's about what you dig out inside of you. So I have one book called Transform Your Boundaries. 
And I have another book called The Mystery of Knowing Journal. And you can use those to support you on your journey and in your Boundary Academy. And I just love what your work is about. And I wish you all well on this journey. It takes, it takes time to develop expertise in your life. It takes practice and time. But, and I know exactly how long that takes. If anybody wants to know. How long? How long does it take? It's about two years to become a boundaries expert in your life. Two years of staying really conscious of your boundaries, having the kind of conversations, Carly, that you're having with people, doing the group work that you're doing with people. It takes like two years of practice and then you get it. Like it all kind of clicks in, but you start seeing results immediately, right? I'm sure people in your academy experience that they get some immediate results and then they're like, they're in because you get immediate results with this work. Right. But to really become a boundaries expert in your life takes about two years and, and, and then it's with you forever. Oh, I appreciate the honesty. (laughs) I would rather know, okay, this is what I'm in for. Two years sounds long, but to your point, we feel the difference immediately. And then that's, that's reinforcing of it. Hey, Sari, would you be game to play our two-way Q&A real quick before you go? Sure. I can't wait to hear your answers. Ready? Here, here we go. First question is... I don't know what the questions are. <laughs> I know. This is so exciting. We keep this part a little mystery. If you came with a warning label, what might it say? It would say, take her seriously. Oh, take her seriously. She means it. I mean what I say. So for example, I, um, I do a soul collage group at my house and um, people come and we do soul collage and I just love that. Are you a soul collage? I've got one of my soul collage right here. Oh my God. Right I'm by my desk. I'm keeping this one where I can see it. Yeah. So we were doing soul collage and I sent out on the note, you know, be here at 10, 15. We start on time and everybody does show up on time because they know me and they know, take her seriously. If she said, if I start on time, I end on time. So I think that would be my warning label. She meant that. <laughs> she meant what she said. I love that. So if you were going to ask a question of a listener, based on our conversation, what do you want to know from someone listening? I would like to know, are you paying attention to what you hear inside of you? How do you check in? Isn't that everything? That conversation, those regular check-ins, that's where it all, that's where it all is. That daring to pause. Sometimes I have to write that question right on a piece of paper. I write down, where are you? What are you feeling right now? What's coming up? And I check in. And sometimes I just answer back on that piece of paper because I need to know that I'm checked in. There it is, the being with, being with yourself right there. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? That's what I would like to know. Me too. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that we put, we'll put links to how to be in touch with Sari and how to keep this conversation going on, on social media. But here's my last question for you, Sari. Okay, I love these. We could do more of them. <laughs> <laughs> these whole afternoon. We could come up with some good ones. Here it is, Sari. Even if other people disagree... What is one thing that you know to be true? I know that people will disagree. I expect people to have different opinions and a different viewpoint and an interesting viewpoint from mine. I expect that. I welcome that. I'm curious about that. Oh, my gosh. When we talk about boundaries, the shift from fearing other people's responses to expecting other people to have different responses. Like there it is just going into it, going, I might get a response. I have no idea. Or your, your appreciative inquiry there, that curiosity. Hmm. I wonder what they're going to say when I tell them I'm not going (laughs) to that thing or that I'm unavailable or, or whatever it is. Right. Let me be curious rather than afraid. What would that be like? Thank you so much, Sari, for being here. I'm so glad this is recorded because I know I'll be listening to it. (laughs) Again. <laughs> oh, I love checking in with you, Carly, and I hope we do it again. And oh, it's 
great to hear about your work in the world. And I'm so thrilled that you're doing this. This is a really big piece for people to have a Boundary Academy, to have a place to check in with each other and with you and to have a supportive community where the conversation about boundaries continues is so essential. It's it's such a big part of how you grow in this area because it can be so challenging. So I wish everybody a good journey on this path with you. I love getting to do that two-way Q&A with our guests. <laughs> Their answers always surprise and delight me. And Sari's question really hit home for me when she said, are you paying attention to what you hear inside of you? How do you check in? I want to hear what's true for you around that. Where and how do you pay attention to your own internal compass? Take that over to iTunes and leave a review so that I can give you a shout out in an upcoming episode or get in touch with me or Sari via the links in the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode. Oh, and the code that she mentioned is friends of Sari, all one word, all caps. Sari is S-A-R-R-I. And this is what you can use to take 20% off of her fully pre-recorded online course, Transform Your Boundaries. As you can tell, any moment of connecting with Sari is a gift to us all. Remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the conversations you have with your internal compass. And I'll see you again next week with some pleasant surprises in our 100th episode celebration. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.